Nick, welcome back three years later to the Lewis and Kyle show round two. Has it been three years? That's pretty incredible. I would have, I would have guessed two. That's, that's crazy. It has. I was looking, so our first interview on YouTube, the introduction, we still were recording on Zoom. So it kind of has the timestamp on the screen of when Kyle and I recorded the introduction to that. And that said September 24th of 2020. So that either means if we did the interview same day, it was the 24th. And if it, you know we did it a couple of weeks earlier than you know, recorded the beforehand segment then. Yeah, so point is three full years. Wow. Well, thank you for having me back. I've learned a heck of a lot. And uh, I hope the audience appreciates all of the updates. You've learned at least 300 pages worth of stuff or 287, yes. <laughs> right? So a uh, catalyst for you reaching out for us, getting back in touch that we've kept in touch, I'd say fairly regularly over that whole period of time is your exciting new book, Rise of the Reader, Strategies for Mastering Your Reading Habits and Applying What You Learn, which is exciting. Yeah, three years in the making on the book too. So I committed to starting this project about three years ago in silence and uh, it took me about three full years to get it done. So I suppose good timing, good synchronicity on both of those things. Amazing. What do you think in terms of like, as let's start with like your reading habits, right? Because I think that's a lot of what we had been most interested in, both when we interviewed you the first time was one, it's like, you've read, I don't even know what the number was then and what the number is now, but hundreds, we'll go with hundreds, maybe we're getting into the thousands of books, and met with thousands of authors, and also have gotten really good at social media marketing. And so those were like the big three themes, I'd say, of the initial conversation that we had. What do you think kind of since then you've matured the most in those kind of areas in terms of like, this is what I've learned that's made me a much better reader, way more effective at communicating with authors, doing all, like what's made you more effective? What's, there's a reason that you still done it, right? Because if you had learned everything you wanted to learn from books and podcasts and all those things three years ago, you would have just ran a media company and stopped actually reading every day and doing all that stuff. But there is the reason that you still do it. You know, I wish I went back and listened to our old episode in anticipation of recording this because it would be fun to see what the difference is, both in terms of how I tell the story, but also in terms of what I think the most effective strategies for reading are. I think I've grown a lot simply because when I decided to write this book, I had to define all of my strategies really for the first time. I mean, outside of being questioned about them on podcast interviews from time to time, I had to almost take a step back and observe my own behavior from a third party perspective and say, what the heck does Nick Hutchison do to get the most out of these books? And then I had to translate that to the page and I had to write it in a way that other people could consume it. I had to simplify the frameworks and the strategies, name them, define them, articulate them. That was a tough process. And so what do I think has changed the most? I think that I have a very clear way now of describing how I generate the intention for each book that I read. So somebody that I know we're both a fan of, at least a little bit, is Alex Hormozzi. He's a fellow Vegas guy. And he just put out a book, $100 Million Leads. So many people are just reading that book aimlessly without intention. And that bugs me a little bit because I know that when you read with intention, you can get more from the books that you're consuming. So I like to set now a SMART goal for each book that I read, something that is specific, measurable, attainable, relevant to my life or business, which there's a big overlap there, and time bound. And so for $100 million leads, instead of just reading it aimlessly and hoping that I'll get something out of the book, I'll say I'd like to find and implement at least two or three strategies for lead generation at BookThinkers by the end of September. So now I'm being held accountable to a deadline and I'm able to measure whether or not the book has had its desired impact on my life. 
And I'll actually write that intention on the inside cover of the physical book and review it multiple times throughout the reading process so that my brain is always so that my brain is always filtering for opportunities to take better action. And so I think that's probably the biggest difference is I'm reading with intention. I'm setting myself up for success in advance of opening the book by writing that intention. And I'm filtering for action, 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 action. That's been my biggest focus, that word action. Yeah, I feel like, uh, I believe it was progress would be like the one word a couple years ago. So maybe it's action now. I like that. It's the component of progress, right? Yeah, it is. It's, um, you know, progress stems from taking action, right? So I think I'm getting a little bit further to that root cause. And as I, as I think about my personal brand, as it starts to develop outside of book thinkers, I do want to be associated with that word action. Like I'm, I'm trying to help people that are stagnant and they're stagnant as a result of inaction. So the antidote is actually taking action, making errors, messing up, but just moving, just grooving, just figuring things out, implementing the books at full speed. And uh, so, yeah, I think last time it was progress and it's still progress, but trying to get a little bit deeper into that. Yeah. And I think the, something you do really well in this book is the, you know, I like finished the book and I'm like, okay, I finished the book. I'm on like page 187. What's what the, like, cause like I finished like the core part of the book and then it's just a hundred pages of just like good ideas for habits in every area of your life with like a detailed background for the habit, implementation strategies for the habit. And basically just like, you know, what I'm going to translate to is lots of really approachable ways to take action to like start accumulating 1% improvements at minimum. Yeah. I wanted to give everybody an example of how I've read hundreds of books, but applied hundreds of things from the books that I've read. And so what I've tried to do is set the why, you know, I think as far as reading is concerned, there's really two main buckets for reading personal development books. There's solving problems, like removing pain from our lives, and then there's developing skills. And so I've tried to give over a hundred examples of how I did that by implementing the books that I have read. And again, action is that theme. There's a quote that, that I've fallen in love with, frankly, over the last couple of months that I wish I included in the book that I didn't. It's a Napoleon Hill quote that says, action is the real measure of intelligence. And so, yeah, it's by taking action from the books we're reading and from the podcast that we're listening to that all of the magic happens. And so I'll just, I'll hammer it home all day long. Again, because repetition does lead to retention and I want to influence people to take action here. Yeah, I think what's really important about that message is kind of being honest with yourself about intention. It's like if you're reading and you don't have an implementation plan, it's really closer on the spectrum to entertainment than it is learning or than it is Mm -hmm. change. Same thing with podcasts. It's like we, because books kind of have this special category where there's like a thing, right? It's books. We don't apply like the same kind of critical framing to the situation. And we just like, just read for the sake of reading, which is it not without benefit, right? Cause it puts you on a path usually to like things that happen. Cause I don't think you started out your reading journey with just like the same level of intention that kind of got you started. And then you kind of, you know, feel the pain of not implementing for a period of time and then realize like the hollowness compared to what it could be if you were to like really approach the whole activity so much better. Yeah. And the same thing. So podcasts, books, and even events I've, I've been fortunate enough to be invited to to speak at events recently. And what I realized is that most of the people in the audience at these events, they're, they're using it as a form of entertainment more than education. So it's a great point. You're sitting in the audience, you get all excited that, you know, you start to visualize taking action. So you take a bunch of notes and you go home and you do nothing. And the time that you spent 
and the money that you spent, it was entertaining, but that was about it. It doesn't create any real change for you. So even at an event, like I'll meet somebody, hey, what's your intention for being here? Why are you here? What can I help with? And they'll be like, well, I don't know. You know, I'm just excited to learn from other people. Like, what do you want to learn? If you state that intention, like I'm trying to find two ways to improve my communication by the end of the week, or I'm looking to meet five new authors and set up discovery calls with them by the end of the weekend, the other person that you're talking to can help you out a little bit. And so I think the same thing with these books, like you want to define your intentions so that the book can help you out. I'm sure we talked about the reticular activating system last time I was on the show, but I saw a great example of this in, in use the other day on social media. Somebody said, imagine the last time you drove to the gym, you probably saw some red cars. How many did you see? And you're like, well, I don't know. You're right. I probably did see some, but I can't really recall any with any particular definition, right? But what if you knew that on your commute to the gym, you would get $100 every time you called out a red car? You'd be filtering for them. So you'd start to see them because you're incentivized. I think the same thing happens with these books and podcasts and events. You can be rewarded, but you have to filter for the rewards. You have to define exactly what you're looking to get out of the book or else you might blow right by it and not even pay attention to the red car or the opportunity to take action and change your life. There's a part of the book I really liked, kind of similar incentive scheme where you, you know, people talk about the excuse and you kind of are very systematic with all of the different reasons people struggle to read. Uh, but one of them is I don't have time to read this book. And people hear that and they believe it, right? Because it's a super valid, right? We're all busy or we feel we're busy. It's very relatable and very, a lot of, you give that excuse to a lot of people, a lot of people aren't gonna push back whatsoever. Then you say, if I gave you $10,000 to finish this book in the next week, would you have time? It's like, of course it is. So it's it's not about the time. It's about something underlying the time. Yeah. That, that same person's like, well, I could read five, you know, <laughs> and <laughs> exactly. uh, it's all tomorrow. of a sudden if they, if they valued it enough, they would insert it into their calendar. And so the next question becomes, how do you value these books? One of the biggest, one of the biggest changes since I think the last show and this show has been in my business. The business has grown a lot, which gives me a lot of additional context with which to apply the lessons I'm learning. And so check this out. Last year, I read $100 million offers by Alex Hormozzi. It's a $20 book. I invested maybe four or five hours of my time reading the book and going through the exercises. I applied them directly to my business. And within six months, actually is less than that, within a handful of months, maybe even less, three months, I generated an additional six figures of service revenue for my business. For a small business, that's a very meaningful number. But the point is, a $20 investment in a handful of hours of my time generated over $100,000 of additional revenue for my business. That's the ROI that I'm talking about. So when I say, if I paid you $10,000 to read a book, I'm even kind of underselling it when the right book hits at the right time and removes pain or develops a new service in your business, because that's the impact that these things can have. Yeah. There's a, a, another author I think we're both a really big fan of that I really enjoy the episode for your podcast with him was Russell Brunson. And I hear a lot of parallels between kind of what you've talk, talked about, even just in these first couple of minutes and what he talks about in Expert Secrets, right? So first of all, he talked about how when you're developing your own frameworks, right? That's like when your real learning about your subject matter actually starts, right? When you sit the time, you take the time to sit down and actually write out what is the Nick Hutchison book implementation strategy framework. And you come up with all those things, then you actually learn those things way deeper than when you just kind of say that you understand them, when you're actually forced to articulate them in a communicable way to other people. And then the second he says, this book is literally no different than what you would do if you hired me for $100,000 two-day consultation. 
or I sit with you for 24 hours straight, we're not going to do anything other than ask you the questions that are written in this book. So act like this book cost you a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. And I, I love that lesson. Uh, you're right. And these books condense decades of lived experience, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars of lessons, millions of dollars of lessons. I mean, think about something like Steve Jobs by Walter Isaacson. Apple's a trillion dollar company. Does that mean that the book literally contains over a trillion dollars worth of business lessons? I mean, I think it does. And so sometimes I've been joking around with people recently. I'll say, yeah, I'm 29 years old, but if you count all of the lived experience behind me, I'm thousands of years old. That's really how I think about these books. And Russell is a great example of that. I mean, he told me he charges. I was talking to him last year about this. I was trying to pitch him for one of my buddy's conferences. Russell told me he charges $250,000 an hour for virtual keynotes, 250K an hour. And so you're right. It would cost a heck of a lot of money to have him consult for your business or consult one-on-one -on -one for you. And the same stuff is available for $20. It's like a cheat code for life. I mean, I can't get enough of it. It's so awesome. I think something else you said earlier, I just wanted to make sure to bring attention to at the risk people don't, you know, re-listen to this on repeat so they, they don't get maximum retention is what you said now, I think is a very also kind of matured way of reading is you don't read a hundred million dollar leads saying, I'm going to read this book and I'm going to apply everything, right? It's no, no, no. I'm going to read this book and I'm going to come up with two things that I'm going to implement by the end of this month. And that is a successful interaction with this book. And I think that is way more likely to set someone up for success. So same thing with this podcast, right? It's not like, listen to this, take aggressive notes. And if you didn't take on every one of Nick's habits and good ideas that he suggests over the next hour, that it's a wasted time. It's like, if you find genuinely one thing, right? It, again, you could quantify it financially, right? If you run a business and you take one of these book recommendations, read that one book and you know spend the five hours to add an extra $10,000 to your business, then that's a great experience you had with this podcast or just one idea. You know, We'll probably talk a lot about the kind of laundry list of habits that you recommend and kind of the little easy things that quick wins you can do. And if you just do one of those things and get a quick win out of it, it's like, this was time well spent for the person listening to this. Yeah, I started to realize over the last couple of years that I should ask myself as often as, as possible, like, what am I actually optimizing for? When I first started my reading journey, I was optimizing for the number of books I read every year, right? It was 52 and then it was 100. And then I kind of peeled it back down to 80 or 75. And so again, what are you optimizing for? The number of books that you finished or the number of actions that you've taken, implemented, retained, you know, and that changed your life. And so, yeah, when I'm thinking of $100 million leads by Alex Hormozzi, I'm not optimizing for 15 or 20 different activities becoming overwhelmed and then I end up procrastinating and don't take any action. What I'm optimizing for is something manageable, something actually attainable. And so even if I go through the book and I'm filtering for those lead generation strategies that I can implement by the end of the month, I might find 10 or 15. And then what I've been doing more recently is I'll rewrite that entire list down. I think that repetition leads to retention again. So I'll try to handwrite the, the 10 or 15 things down and I'll look at the list and I'll say, what 20% of these can lead to 80% of the change? Because not every potential action is equal. Some of them are higher leveraged. Some of them are lower leveraged. So take advantage of just a couple of actions, two or three things, implement them into your business and watch the magic happen. And uh, I remember the first time I ever read Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, I had like hundreds of, of oh, notes. Yeah. 
But it's like, that's not realistic. You can't retain hundreds of notes from a book, but you can retain two or three things pretty well. What are the books that you reread the most often? Or what are the books you've reread the most times? Good question. The books that I've reread the most are the the 5% that if- Yes. And then I'm curious for that original list as well, but I guess it's not because again, we're still talking about quantity of times you read the same book, but what is the book that you've like revisited the most times? Or I think that's the more useful question. Not like which book have you said, time to read this whole book from beginning to end again, but which book that you're like, oh, that had a thing that I remember that is a thing I need related to me right now. Over the last 12 months, it's been $100 million leads by Alex Hormozzi, constantly revisiting that value equation that he teaches in the book and improving the services that we offer. But excluding that book, The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, as I've grown my business, I'm constantly trying to do more with less. I'm constantly trying to automate, delegate, eliminate low-impact activities and replace them with the activities that can create the most momentum in my business. So doing more with less. And I love that book. I mean, as we've, as we've probably talked about, uh, that's a book that goes over the heads of a lot of people. They choose not to implement it. They see it as unrealistic. They don't think Tim Ferriss's lifestyle is achievable. And I disagree. You know, I use that book a lot in business, but I also use it in my own life. I mean, I have a, a quote from the book tattooed on my wrist. And so, you know, it's, it, it's something that I revisit probably on a daily basis. If, if I think about it that way. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah and I, I don't have many books tattooed on my body, but I do, I do have something <laughs> from that one. That's a, uh, that's strong evidence. That's actually uh, brings me to my next question, which is the, the guiding principles that you kind of introduced at the beginning of the book. And I think a lot of those are also inspired by Tim Ferriss. Right. Reality is negotiable. Reality is limitless. Yeah. And that's the tattoo that I have. Reality is negotiable right on my wrist right here. And so, okay. So when Tim talks about the fact that reality is negotiable, he's talking about fighting against this idea that society has for us of living that standard nine to five lifestyle, delaying gratification until we're in our sixties, only then to have a chance at living our life. But we realize that we're not physically able to take advantage of it anymore you know, and we probably have a ton of debt anyway. And that just, it's not fulfilling to me. So every single time I feel pressure from society to conform to like that standard, you know, set of expectations, I'm reminded that reality is negotiable and I can design a life that's uniquely fulfilling to me. And so I think, uh, yeah, like consistently tapping back into this idea has been very important to me. As you know, it's not easy to grow a business. It's not easy to stick with the same thing for a long period of time when it's failing. It's not easy, you know, to shed society's expectations aside and travel internationally or build your own business, like whatever it is. And so, yeah, it's been a really important message for me, I think, over time. But also the business lessons in that book are amazing. They really are. And that's why I decided to put reality is negotiable right as one of those founding, I mean, the guiding principles in the beginning of my book, because I want people to be primed. I want them to kind of open up and like live with that idea subconsciously that, okay, like all the stuff that I talk about in this book is realistic because we can design our own lives. Yeah. I think that'd be interesting to speak to just a little bit. Like what has the lifestyle looked like for you for the past three years of building this business? Has it been like a tireless 80 hour week, like struggle or has it, you know, you've sprinkled in, like, has it been like a more harmonious journey? Cause I know like every other time, if I reach out to you, you're, you know, in the U S or you're somewhere not right. It's not been, it's been a 50, 50. I feel like not been like yeah. a, Oh, this is the 10% of the time that Nick's having fun. I feel like pretty frequently I find you in the middle of preparing for just getting back from, or 
doing something cool and balanced. Yeah. Back to that question. What, what are we optimizing for within our reading journeys, but also our lives in general? And I've found that the way that I can articulate this is enjoying the passage of time. That's what I optimize for. I do more of what I enjoy and what brings me energy. And I do less of what I don't enjoy. It doesn't bring me energy. And by the way, energy is relative. So you can outsource something that drains your energy and it might bring energy to somebody else. And I think that's a really important point. But so what do I optimize for? What have the last three years looked like? I'm just a happy guy. I'm spending a lot of time traveling internationally. I got married earlier this year to Rachel, who you've met and, and we've gone out to lunch together. Um, you know, we bought a house last year. I built my own custom library. I've interviewed all of my heroes. My business has doubled year over year for the last three or four years straight. And it's, I'm not doubling the input to the business, right? I'm not doubling my hours. I'm actually working less probably than I ever have outside of this book promotion that's happening right now. But everything that I'm doing for it brings me energy. And again, I'm automating, delegating, or eliminating, shout out Tim Ferriss, everything that's neutral or takes energy from me. So I think that you can live a sustainable, harmonious life, even as an entrepreneur. Yes, I had my years where I was working 80 hours a week and burning the candle at both ends, but I'm still in my 20s and I really enjoy my life. And so it, life doesn't have to be so hard when you condense decades of somebody else's lived experience into days of reading and you can navigate those obstacles yourself. And that's kind of the, this is the result. Like I feel really good about what I'm doing. And so my future doesn't seem too different than my present. Like, yeah, I want to have a bigger impact. Yeah, I want to have a bigger business. Yeah, I want to do more, continue to travel. But like, that's all also part of my present moment. And I just want to live in that as much as I can. I think that's awesome. I think it's like, you got a plan that's working and just why switch it up, just keep improving on it, but not in like a toxic or way that doesn't take away from the things that you're optimizing for. Yes. Yeah. And shout out so. to James Clear for originally introducing me to that question. Like, what what are you truly optimizing for? And I used to think it was like bazillions of dollars of financial success. And then as I've continued to age a little bit, I say age a little bit, as I've continued to grow up and consume more books and learn from other people and get mentored, I've realized that my dream life doesn't cost as much as I thought it was going to. And that it was actually pretty sustainable with like the current level of income that I'm at. And so, yeah, I want more of the same, but I want more of the same because my present moment rocks, you know? Yeah, that's such a cool place to be. I think that... You know, it's interesting, a lot of the things that you, you just said in terms of, you know, people don't believe that it's possible or whatever, like the kind of four hour work week or whatever. And obviously it's, you know, it's a spectrum. It doesn't have to be solely four hours per week, but it's like, if you at any point in time ever worked for $5 an hour and then only ever worked for $10 an hour and then got up to 20 or 40 or 80 or 160 or 300 or whatever, uh, or even higher, you've realized that an hour of your time can become two, three, four, five, six more effective as things go on. And so it's like, you know, a 40 hour week for you in the business or 20 hour week, whatever, and the business can still double your, it's like, if you can see that your input can change the quantity of output based on all the different variables in the equation, and you realize that the amount of income is a fixed number, then it hundred percent is entirely possible to get to that level of production without increasing the inputs. I think you, you phrased it very simply and elegantly, like how that that progression happened for you. Yeah, I had a really cool moment uh, like two weeks ago. So Noah Kagan, are you familiar with him? So Noah 
hit me up and was like, Hey, I have a book coming out in January. I'd love to connect, learn a little bit more about what you're doing. And of course I'm like, yeah, that sounds super cool. I know who Noah is. So I jump on a call with him and, and he says, yeah, I'd like to do an interview, but I only do them in person. Like, I got, I don't want to record on zoom. And I said, well, let me know the next time you're in Boston. And he said, well, I'll actually be in Boston next week. So Noah came over to my house last week and we spent a little bit of time together kind of talking about this upcoming book and we recorded a podcast and stuff. And one of the things that he he talks about in his book uh, for aspiring entrepreneurs is actually taking the time to define that number. Like, what does your dream life actually cost? And nine times out of 10, it's less than that million dollar number that kind of floats around undefined in our brains. And so once you have the number, you have something measurable to work towards. And for me, you know, I, I kind of admitted this on the podcast that I recorded with him, but working in a fast paced software sales environment, I had developed a lifestyle that wasn't immediately transferable into a side hustle like BookThinkers because I was spending too much money per month. My lifestyle cost too much. And so I either had to wait until BookThinkers could catch up and afford me that same type of lifestyle to make the jump, or I had to lower my expectations for my current day to day. And, um, so just another way to kind of tell the audience about that journey. There's also a great book, Buy Back Your Time by Dan Martell, I think is his last mm -hmm. name. Yeah, and it it's talks cool. about- I finished it, but I enjoyed like the first several chapters. Yeah, that's all I've gotten into it as well. But yeah, the idea of, uh, you know, if you can outsource something for 25% of your hourly wage or less and choose not to, it actually costs your business money in terms of opportunity cost and a lot of opportunity cost. And so you can start to quantify that. So if I think my time is worth $500 an hour and I choose not to delegate something that I could delegate for less than $100 an hour, like I'm, I'm literally holding my business back. I'm the bottleneck. So yeah, just fun frameworks to think about for people. Yeah, I think that the kind of personal, like that number, that target monthly income, and when you actually force yourself to spell out, like what are all the things, like I, I, I go through that exercise sometimes and I think about, you know, I really like different fitness hobbies. Right. And it's like, I like to do martial arts. I like to do CrossFit. I like to, you know, do like road races. So like, not like marathons, but like a 5k or like, a, I want to do a triathlon soon. I think I sign up for one next couple of weeks. And then I also like going to yoga, like once or twice every couple of weeks. And it'd be nice to just have like a membership to all of those places. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and, and like to actually spell that out, it's like, okay, that one's 150 a month. That one's 150 a month. That one's 150 a month, which seems like a lot, but it's like, you only have to add an extra 500 a month in income to have like all of that. And then like, maybe like to get some meal prep and stuff. It's like not that outrageous. Again, it's if you want to get into like, and this is what a lot of people talk about, like the fr flying private and kind of what, like some of those things like that add like truly another level. But in terms of just like stacking a high quantity of super convenient things, it's like not that outrageous if you actually spell it out and then making it real and making it attainable makes you motivated to actually go for it because you're like, oh, I could actually do that if I just like found the right book, unlike the right idea, solve the one problem holding me back and like feel like you're truly only like one um, one unlock away from getting there versus it feeling like infinitely distant. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Defining it. Same with these books, right? You're defining your goal for the each book. So it's mm -hmm. not impossible to implement the four hour work week. You're just looking for two or three things to implement. And then you could go back to the book later on if you want to, and it makes it reasonable. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. We've all heard it. No matter how many times you read Aesop's fable, the tortoise and the hare, the tortoise always wins every single time. So that's kind of the message for everybody that's listening today is, yeah, slow and steady wins the race. And you're, you don't even start the race until you define the numbers that you're 
you know, sort of looking to go after? I think we've outlined at least two that I can think of like big, and this is a whole section of your book really, right? Is paradigm shifts and upgrades that you've gone through in your life. But I'm always curious to hear like, what is a mistake that you feel like you were making for a long time that you kind of only recently, you know, resolved? So I feel like some examples you've already given, right? Reading books without intention for a long time, was like a pattern that you're like, I know I'd be doing better if I just like read with intention, set goals around the book. And it sounds like you've really started doing that effectively. I think another one you outlined is, you know, with a hundred million dollar offers, undercharging for your services, not maximizing the value of like proper packaging and value-based pricing, et cetera, et cetera. Was there another one that kind of like lingered for a long time that you're like, ah, this is like a thing I know I should be doing. That'd be super helpful. And it's like, once it finally clicked and you took the action to like over, get over the hump. It's even something that's funny that like Alex talks about, right? Inside the book, he's like, for years, I just needed to build a landing page and I never was able to do it. I never was able to convince myself to do it. And then one magical day, like sat down and within four hours, I was done. And I was like, I was only four hours away from this huge unlock for years. Like there are any that stand out to you based on that? Yeah. Framing? I mean, how about this book in general, like from a macro mm -hmm. level? I A couple of things happen, I think, when you write your first book and you're still in your 20s. Number one, there's a little bit of imposter syndrome. So I dealt with that. Like, am I successful enough to write a book? I mean, I'm, I'm reading and interviewing books written by Russell or Alex or Grant or whoever. Like, do I have to replicate their success before I can write something myself? So I dealt with that for a little while. And then I realized that I just needed to serve somebody one or two steps behind where I am today in order for the book to be effective. And most people in my community, they had questions about these very subjects, right? So I knew there was a demand. I knew that I had strategies that weren't available to my 20, 21 year old self. And so I finally got over that. Now, within the writing process, the reason that it took me three years is because I never put a deadline. I never said it needs to be done by here in leverage Parkinson's law. And so two and a half years into the process, I said, let's just pick a date. November 1st, the book is coming out. And the book had been 80% done for a year and then I finished that final 20% in a very, very, very short period of time. So yeah, just same kind of thing. Like I think the book took me a very long time. I put it off for as long as possible. I said, okay, I know about Parkinson's law. Let me put a deadline in place so that I can take better action and it starts to prioritize itself. And then like that, the book is available. And so, you know, the lesson there for me is done is better than perfect. 80% of what I have available today is better than the 0% that's currently out there for people who want to implement more from books. And uh, I went for it and it happened fast. Yeah, I think there's lots of, a uh, couple things I want to say to that. First of all, back to your framing for this book of like, okay, this isn't the definitive guide to like how to use books effectively. It's not like the perfect guide to that. It's like, is this going to be super helpful to the types of people that send me DMs as like one customer story, one user story for speaking agile here. And, you know, my answer is definitely yes. Like I read through the kind of introduction to self-help category and I was like, this is literally like so many things that I had to piece together from so many books all in one place. I'm like, if I had just started with like this, like that there would be lots of books that I like would have felt redundant, which is just like, this is like a really helpful start here resource for someone in that position. And like, you just got all the things from all the places in one place. You know what I mean? It's just like super valuable. And so I feel like if I was a total beginner, I mean, there's tons of value I'm getting from it now just because, I mean, the huge list of things that, again, not implemented everything yet. So there's tons of stuff in here I haven't implemented yet that if I just implemented, that would be an unlock, that would be an unlock, that would be an unlock. Um, so I think you definitely achieved that. And the, the imposter syndrome discussion is interesting because even Tim, right, who we talked about, Tim Ferriss, he was like 27, 28 when he wrote for our work week, right? It's like where he was when he wrote that book 
was basically had created a successful supplement company and that was it, right? He wasn't Tim Ferriss, the angel investor, podcast host, whatever. I think he had like a fairly popular blog, which you have a fairly popular media brand and a fairly successful supplement company. And like, besides that, lots of good ideas that he feels like he has figured out that would be helpful to people on that path. So it's like very, when you kind of break it down, like you're in a very similar position as a published author to where he was when he put that out. And like, look what that book has done for you. So it's like, this is going to be that for hopefully lots of other people in many ways. Yeah, I hope so. I I had a really cool experience. If speaking of impact, I, there's something that, that I just want to say real quick, because this was a realization I only had recently. Being of service to a community, like trying to provide a positive impact by hosting a show or posting content on social media, you really only feel that impact through feedback. So it's only when somebody says, hey, thank you for doing what you're doing. Here's how I used it and here's how it helped me. That's what I think a lot of creators are out there searching for. And so quick message to anybody in this community, if you listen to the Lewis and Kyle show and you consume this content, but you've never reached out and thanked Lewis, who's on with me today, Kyle, I don't know where you're at, but you better show up <laughs> next time. Show some love, send a DM, say thank you, shoot a quick email, let them know something that has helped you out. I was traveling this summer in Croatia and I was outside of Dubrovnik, Croatia, in this tiny little area. Dubrovnik, by the way, is a tiny, con I mean, a tiny little city in Croatia. It has like 100,000 people. I oh, know, wait, maybe 30,000 people. And we were like in an offshoot of that. So it's just this tiny little community. And Rachel and I were walking to go get a couple of drinks at a bar. And we walked past a cool restaurant. She said to me, hey, on the way back, let's get reservations for tomorrow night. So I said, sure. We waited at the bar a little bit longer than we thought we were going to. So on the way back, we saw that it was closing up. Like doors were closed. Nobody was seated. And she's like, oh, let's just go back. Like no big deal. I said, no, like we're here. I'll walk in and see if there's anybody that can help us out. So I open up the door. I go in. I find somebody who's cleaning. And I say, hey, I'd like to make a reservation for tomorrow night. Can you help me? And the guy looks up and he goes, yeah, sure. By the way, I'm a huge fan. And I'm like, a huge fan of what? <laughs> And uh, he's like, of book thinkers. And I just kind of, I'm getting goosebumps again. I just had this moment of like, what the heck? You know, I'm in the middle of nowhere, mm -hmm. in the middle of nowhere, outside of the middle of nowhere. How the heck does this guy know who I am? And how did he like register it like that, you know? So I said, well, tell me what that means. And he goes through all of these individual book recommendations, these podcast interviews that I've hosted, these experiences that he's seen just through stories and details everything about how it helped him in life. And I'm sitting there, obviously, like high on life hearing this because <laughs> I genuinely care about feedback and like impact. And again, you only get it when somebody tells you what it's done for you. The point is, he had never reached out. He had never told me his story. He never told me about how he was consuming all of this kind of stuff. And uh, he wasn't even on Instagram anymore. I mean, he was, but like through a different page. And so it wasn't following the account or anything like that. And it was just, it was so cool to hear that story because it, it makes me feel like my work matters. Right. And if I never bumped into him at that random time in Croatia, like I never would have experienced how much of an impact I had had. And yeah, anyway, detailing that just to say, if anybody's in the audience today, give a shout out to Lewis, you know, and tell him what, what he's done for you. That's awesome. That's crazy story that's awesome that yeah, internet so you just cool. don't realize it it's like you see the stats it's like you know i could i probably if i look at like the podcast downloads and we've had very very way way less media impressions overall than book thinkers but i still see like 
five in X random country, 10 in X random country. Like, and in the scheme of things, you know, you see a thousand in the US, a thousand in New York or whatever. And you're like, okay, whatever. But that's still five people in Croatia. And for, it's like, you go to that country, you could bump into someone. It's, it's wild. The, the impact that it has and you know, who uh, you'd introduce me to Kristen Butler. And I mean, I can't imagine for that, right. Cause I mean, there are 50 million. So it's very cool when you're spreading positivity at scale and you just don't realize the, when it just catches you unexpectedly. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Kristen's community is crazy. Shout out Kristen. Her, her book was great too, the comfort zone. And I, you know, that's been a realization of mine too, is that I've noticed over the last couple of years, whenever I try to take a step that's too big, I burn out. But if I take kind of manageable steps in the right direction, then a lot of successful things start to happen. So her frameworks have been great for me. Well, we only have a couple more minutes here before we have to wrap up. Uh, so let's, you know, I said we were going to get into it briefly. So let's uh, start with the the habit section and maybe just give a couple of shout outs. And again, I highly recommend the book. We're going to wait to publish this till it's out so people aren't living in suspense. And there's hundred, I think it's literally a hundred pages of just like really detailed, great ideas for habits and why to do them, expected benefits and Nick's experience and even like a subtle pro tip for how to do them in like the best way from like someone who's tried it. Uh, what are a few shout outs, maybe like one from every category and let's go for like not, you know, not the headliner, like a kind of a subtle one. So we got health, wealth, and wisdom. What are just a couple, one from each category, maybe we can uh, speed through. Sure. Uh, okay. So for health, you know, something that I've gotten into recently is fasting. We were talking about it before. And so I've been doing intermittent fasting for a long time. And, but I'll kind of take a, a quick curve here. The purpose of fasting is to put your body in a state where it can heal itself and repair, remove inflammation, right? So why not be proactive and start to test your food sensitivities? So I write about this in the book. You can actually take these answer. blood like tests. It. Yeah, you can take these blood tests where you submit your blood to a lab. They run your blood through a panel of sensitivity and they look at what creates inflammation for you. And then you'll get this big report of all of these foods. And... The way that I kind of think about implement, uh, inflammation within the body is like, you know how when you sprain your ankle and you kind of have some extra blood and it bruises a little bit and it's kind of stiff and when you move it, it hurts. That's what happens inside of your body with your intestines. So you eat this food, it creates inflammation, something in your inside of your body swells up and it creates that weird kind of cramping, annoying, bloated feeling. Like that's really, really, really bad for you. And so what it I've been be doing be over the last couple of years- all the time. It's yeah. like very normalized to just deal with that. It's so bad. And when you do intermittent fasting and you start to remove these foods, you become aware of how often you do get bloated and feel bad. So like now for me, if I eat something that creates inflammation, I'm like instantly, oh, that was terrible. I'm never going to eat that again. Like very normal foods for me. Things like Brussels sprouts, for instance, like I will feel genuine pain now because I'm not used to inflammation anymore each time I eat it. So I recommend testing food sensitivity and feeling better on a daily basis and breaking that kind of normal standard of always being bloated and feeling gross after you eat food. So we can make that one feel real. What is like the projected cost? Maybe someone's like, is that like a thousand dollar commitment, like a $5,000, like a 200? Obviously there's probably pros and people who will interpret for you and all sorts of stuff you can value stack, but like- Yeah, under, under $200. Oh, nice. Under under two hundred dollars, you can get a test sent to your home. You prick your own finger with like their little thing. You leave a bunch of blood spots. Um, there might even I think there are some saliva based ones too. You send it back in in the prepackaged kind of like little box and slip and everything, and then you get your results via PDF in a couple of weeks. So a couple hundred bucks, and there are a lot of places that do them. All right, if, if we can uh, 
speedrunner. That was a great answer. I love that one. A lot of yeah. people hear fasting, but that was a great like deeper go under. So, uh, and I got a million more questions, but we are running against time. So one for wealth and one for wisdom, and we'll let people know where to find you and where to find the book. Yeah. So for wealth, a lot of my tips are focused around productivity because I think that if you can be more productive, you can be wealthier. And one of my favorite things recently is to lock up my phone. So I actually bought a kitchen safe timer. You could set how long it locks for. And whenever I need to jump into a state of deep work and I don't want to be distracted from my phone, I drop it in the box. I press lock one hour, 20 minutes, two hours, whatever the case is. And they're essentially impenetrable. So, you know, I always have my Apple watch in case I need to dial 911 or something like that. But I try to remove my phone. I make it as difficult as possible to get to. And so that's that's been a big productivity tip for me recently. Cool. And then final one for wisdom, though, that one's probably also a good one for wisdom. It's just like, don't be distracted and your brain will work. But. True. Well, gratitude is one of my favorite subjects. And something I've been doing for the last couple of years is recording a gratitude time capsule on a weekly basis. So I just pull out my phone. And I talked to my phone for one minute about the last week, like my weekly highlights. What are the things that I'm most grateful for in the last week or that I'm anticipating over the next couple of days? I record that time capsule. I upload it to Google Drive. And so in the future, I can condense an entire year's worth of one minute videos into less than an hour. And I can relive an entire year's worth of highlights and gain perspective and see myself smile and see how excited I was about things that maybe ended up being meaningless or underwhelmed about things that ended up being tremendously impactful. And so gratitude is really important. And what I've started to do is filter for those gratitude moments throughout the week, because I know I have to record the video and it just puts me in the right headspace all the time. Gratitude is amazing. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, I mean, I have hundreds more questions and uh, fortunately you're, you're on Instagram and you're responsive and the book thinkers brand helps people out with stuff. And the book exists that I can you know go deeper with. So uh, where should people check out the book? if they want more from you or more from, uh, they want to be a rising reader. Yeah, the book is titled Rise of the Reader, Strategies for Mastering Your Reading Habits and Applying What You Learn. And check this out. This is my favorite thing to do. If anybody wants a custom book recommendation from me, DM me at bookthinkers on Instagram. Give me a little bit of time to respond. Sometimes it takes a few days or a week or two. And um, tell me about a problem that you have. Tell me about a skill that you want to develop. And I'll provide a custom recommendation from you and even follow up in three months to see if you've read the book and what you thought about it. That's a good, uh, that's a great offer right there. hundred million dollar offer. Yeah. And, and you know, from there you can find links in the bio to the book and everything else. Amazing. Well, it's been a blast. Thanks, Nick. Yeah. I appreciate you, man. Thank you.